What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. Ben, we've got a topic today that is a uh, spawn of our original phantom idea. Yeah, we should have named this Spawn of the Phantom. That would have been a good idea because we've uh, we were talking about this off air that we've we've actually got a lot of mileage out of just this one word, Phantom. Yeah, uh, there's there's quite a few vehicles that like to use the Phantom moniker somewhere within the name, which is a cool name, by the way. I like it. Mm-hmm. But we've talked about Phantom Rolls Royce models, right? Yes, had talk- a two parter on that. Yeah, two parter, and we talked about the Phantom Corsair. Mm-hmm. And now today we're going to talk about Phantom bikes. Which are a completely different and b equally cool. Mm, agreed. Yeah, they're uh, they're really really cool. I you know we've done scooter and uh, you know Vespa right. type products in the mm-hmm. past, and you know we've had kind of mixed reviews on what we uh, what we think of them. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, I don't know this this to me this is so much cooler than I like I like the original Vespas. I, don't get me wrong. Okay. I think those were a cool design, but I think this takes it up a notch for sure. Absolutely, because this is not a motorcycle. A phantom bike is a motorized bicycle. Uh, sounds a little confusing. Oh, yeah. I, I imagine Terrib- a bike with an engine. Terribly confusing. Really. Terribly confusing. Yeah, but, but you're right, though. It's it's a motorized bicycle. But what does that rem- you know kind of harken back to the days of uh, the original motorcycles, right? Because that's kind of yes. where they came from. Uh-huh. Um, and these look a whole lot like those original very, very early on motorcycles. I mean, we were talking turn-of-the-century motorcycles. Right, yeah, like pre-war fan- France kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I've got a whole thing about this that I want to talk about in the middle of this. I've got a, a sidebar that I think is pretty interesting yeah. uh, with kind of the, the design that these people are going for with phantom bikes and uh, and kind of the history of that. So we'll get to that in a few minutes, but um, what we're talking about here is these these scooter-like uh, like vehicles, really, mm-hmm. that look like motorcycles, but they're far you know lower power i guess right they're like uh they're i 
Yeah, it's 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 uh what what is uh let's get into the CCs. Yeah, sure. Okay, 49 CCs, right? Right. And that's interesting because in some states if it's under 50 CC, if an engine is under 50 CC, mm-hmm. then the laws change a little bit. Very clever on their part because mm-hmm. uh see this makes it really easy for anybody to just buy one and use it, which is right. really really cool. Um being that they all have these 49 cc engines, every model that Phantom Bike offers, um, the one, at least the ones that I saw online, mm-hmm. uh, there are six listed there currently. Right. Yep. Um, and I think that there uh, there may be some other variations of those custom wise. We'll talk about too. But um, they're all 49 cc's exactly, and that means that with you know no, well in some states we have to talk about that too. We but in to some states, no license, no registration, you know, no inspections, right. anything like that. You just get on it and go. As long as you have a helmet, you're uh-huh. you're okay to go. But that's not the case in every state, right? Yes, great point. Because off air, I checked out some of the moped laws for Georgia and uh, moped laws for Michigan, and they vary from California. I would and guess. they vary from California. Um, for instance, uh, in Pennsylvania, you can't get away with some of the same stuff you could uh, get away with for a moped in California. Now, the reason we're specifically referencing California uh, goes back to the story of this company, which is, this is a very new company. This is 2009? Yeah, 2009 is the initial idea for this company, which is, is amazing, really. Um, San Diego, California, to be specific. Yes. And uh, California businessman John King uh, who I believe was a real estate guy at the uh-huh. time. Yep. Um, what was the idea? I guess he was just kind of taking a walk on a beach or something and decided that, uh, you know, he saw some beach cruiser bike, you know, uh-huh. the, the, uh, the type of the big wheels and the wide seats and everything, and decided, well, maybe wouldn't it be cool if I could just add a motor to that? And he said this to his friend Sterling uh, Tucker, Sterling Tucker, and they decided, well, we can build better bikes. And so they got two just run-of-the-mill bicycles from a mm-hmm. sports store, and uh, then they started ordering engine kits. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, for some reason, I don't, and, you know, not everybody is, in, like, uh, is focused on this type of stuff as we are, right, and, and right, our audiences. Right. So, you know, John and his friend, they think, like, well, we'd like to put a motorcycle, or, or rather a small engine on a bike and make it sort of like a motorcycle but a little less powered, thinking it was a brand-new idea. They yeah. soon found out that, well, this has really been going on for, like, like a hundred years, right? But uh, you know, not not to discount what they're doing because they thought, and this is the cool part about this: they thought we can do it better, and that's always the key to someone being very successful. I think is that I'm going to take that idea and I'm going to make it even better. How can I how can I do that? And that's exactly what they did. Yes, and uh, boy, did they do it well. This. Uh this idea became, uh, I think in their, their about section, they say that uh, one bike became two, two mm-hmm. became ten, um, and now they have a booming business with, uh, as we mentioned before, six uh, separate models, all which are reasonably priced, and you guys know that if I'm saying they're reasonably priced, then then they're probably pretty reasonable. Yeah, and you know, the people saw, you know, people around town saw these things. The way this whole thing kind of grew is organic, I'm sure. And then, you know, they built these two bikes, they're driving them around town, and people are kind of interested in the prototypes and saying, like, you know, I'd buy one of those if you could build one for me. 
And so they started to do that. And that's when they became, you know, two, four, ten bikes. They started to grow exponentially. And uh, they did have to go into almost like a warehouse to start with. They said they started in like a thousand foot warehouse. Right, yeah. And then they, uh, then they quickly, like within a year, they outgrew that and had to go into like a 2,000 square foot warehouse. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. The demand for these things is really, really huge. So, you know, very successful. Um, but during the prototype stage, Ben, we mentioned, um, uh, we, I think we've mentioned the engines a couple times here. They're 49cc, right? Yeah, two stroke engines. Yeah, two, well, two stroke originally. Originally, originally yes. Two Good stroke, point. and uh, and the problem was the they they were originally sourcing these engines from, um, you know, along with other parts that they uh, they need. It's a whole kit that they have to put together in order right, to the clutch uh, centrifugal centrifugal clutch. Exactly, there's a lot that goes into this, but the engine part, um, the engine part was a, originally a two stroke engine, and it was sourced from an LA business, and uh, they learned kind of in the process that they they were you know investigating and they realized that the EPA was soon to uh, to outlaw two-stroke engines in California which was a right. big problem for them right yeah so uh, they had to look elsewhere and they uh, they found some and this is this is kind of the uh, I guess the downside according to Jay Leno which you'll find out you know in in if you watch the video that's on the website, yes, um, they have visited Jay Leno's garage. By the way, well, just to give that away early, <laughs> but uh, they they have found some four-stroke engines uh, that did meet the EPA standards in California, but they did have to source them from China. So that that's the only part that comes from anywhere overseas. The, the rest of this is built in uh, built and assembled in San Diego, so it's a a product that's built in the USA. Um, but you know he gives him a little bit of guff for that on Jay Leno's garage, by the way. Yeah, but he's he's good-hearted about it. There's a 12-minute uh, video that we're referencing on the uh, on the site for the Phantom bikes, uh, mm-hmm. which shows Jay Leno visiting, learning about uh, the nature of these bicycles, how they work, or excuse me, mopeds, and uh, what they can do. Trying out a couple different models, they mm-hmm. go on a ride, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that I might be more of a fan of these than Jay Leno is, to be honest with you. I think I am too, yeah. The, he was not, I don't want to say down on him. But, he wasn't uh, down on him. No, not at all. In fact, I think he really liked it. But you and I mentioned this earlier that, you know, off air again, that um, I think he's used to looking at million-dollar cars. Right. I think that's probably part of the reason. A bit jaded? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not, I, I just don't know what to say about this because, I mean, he, he, he was excited about them but not overly enthusiastic. And I think I personally – Think that they're they're a very cool design. I really really like these a lot. They're they're interesting. They're a great commuter vehicle. You know, if used in the right situations, like we talked about. You know, just with Vespa. Yeah, but go back to Vespa for our viewpoints on that. But mm-hmm. um, I think in the in the right situation, these are these are great for city commuters. Yeah, let's do some numbers real quick. Okay. All right. So their top speed here is 30, 35 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Not very fast. Not not very fast. Now remember, we talked about Vespas; they can go eighty. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, some can go eighty, which is remarkable. Now, of course, that is more the exception than the rule. But uh, here's another number that I especially like: one of the models, the Phantom Hibachi Cruiser. It's a entry level. You know, it's not the top of the sure. line. It's only twelve fifty. Twelve fifty. Twelve hundred fifty. Twelve hundred fifty. Okay. Okay. You know what? That's the low end of the uh, of the the price range on the right. six that they have. So, and I believe Ben, when you see that listed on the website, that's a kit. It says right. it yeah. says twelve fifty for the kit that's available. So I think that it's shipped to you as here's a bicycle, here's your engine and, and kit. Mm-hmm. Now I would assume that you can have one put together. I'm guessing. 
Yeah, I'm sure for nominal fee. Now, this is this is interesting, though, because if you do check out their website, uh, they're out of stock of quite a few models. Yes, out of those six, I, I don't know, maybe two are available or something like right, that yeah. at, this, at this time. However, you know, I, I'm sure that you can get on a waiting list. That's probably not a problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, they're also working to up production because, you know, the, the demand for these is getting huge. The yeah. other thing is that they range right now uh, in the six models, the top-end model, um, is around twenty eight hundred dollars. It's that's the Phantom mm-hmm. uh, Phantom Racer, right? Yeah, and uh, that's a really cool one. I I'll, I'll list my. Uh, I've got three favorites on this site. What are um, your three favorites? Do you, do you want me to do it right now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, hang on. It's uh, in descending order. Okay. So uh, from number three, is that the right way to say that? I guess from number three, um, I like the the model called the Phantom Ghost Cruiser, mm-hmm. which is retails for about twenty five hundred dollars. Yikes. Is this your wish list? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, the the next is my uh, number two would be the Phantom Bobber Cruiser, which they describe Ben as mean and low. Which yes, is, which is really cool looking. Yeah, um, that's about twenty three hundred dollars. And then my number one pick would be the Phantom Racer, which is the twenty eight hundred dollar model. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed something as I as I looked at this. Two things. One, all of my favorites happen to be in the $2,000 range, which is <laughs> bad for me. Sure. Um, the second is that I noticed I like the models that have um, the handlebars that are that are low and flat like the old motorcycles right. of the day. And uh, and I think that's what really gets me on these things is that they look so cool and you ride in kind of a hunched over position like mm-hmm. you would in an old cycle. Um, the other ones, the other models, you mentioned the Hibachi Cruiser yes. and the Hibachi Commuter. And I think there's one other one in there, too. Um, the jetty commuter. Yeah, the jetty commuter. Those all have upright handles, and you sit in a very upright position. Uh, it's very comfortable, I would assume. Right, and it's got front suspension and they, stuff. They all look very, very comfortable. All, actually, all of them do, because they have nice, wide, you know, cushioned seats. And mm-hmm. they just look like, you know, the big, fat tire cruisers that you see riding around town, but they're motorized. And they're inspired, according to uh, Mr. King, they're inspired by uh, the... The Harleys, the Harley Davidsons. We can't go any farther without you telling me what your favorite model is. Okay, fair enough. I also am a fan of the Phantom Racer. All right, good for you. I know that it's. I I know that it is uh, a little more at the top end, right? It's the top end, I believe. But um, it gets really good mileage too. It really does. It gets like a hundred miles to the gallon. Oh yeah, that's something we should mention. All of these. And not just the Phantom Cruiser, but but see, you get the looks with the with the uh, the efficiency in this model because right. the Phantom Cruiser. Well, I've got more to say about that in a second. That, okay. That's that's my sidebar. Let's get to that next. As a matter of fact, okay. But um, all of these models, they claim in. I saw a number that says 140 miles per gallon is what they claim on these things. Now that's so most of these models have a half gallon tank mm-hmm. originally. Yeah, and I think you can up that because I think the model that. Um, that was on Jay Leno's garage had something like a gallon and a half um, tank, and that means that the range on that thing is 210 miles. That's a pretty darn good range for no a, a scooter. I mean, really nice. Um, so, so again, you know, I mean, if, let's say you have a half gallon tank. That's still 70 miles between Phillips mm-hmm. um, for what? Would, I mean, right about a dollar. 75 or something like that at this point, with the way fuel prices are. Right, and these are also we should mention. Um, these could be. Very good for people who live in an urban environment. Yeah. Just because you're, you, as Jay Leno pointed out, you're probably not going to go over 35 if you're driving downtown all the time. No, no, I wouldn't think so. In fact, it, it, you can't really speed on these things. Um, right. If you're if you're in a uh, a neighborhood and the limit's 25, 
you're just about maxed out on these things. So you don't have to worry about city streets. You can't, you know, if you're if you're out in uh, out in the general public, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't be able to go faster than the speed limit. So there's no worry there. As long as you're, you know, covered as far as whatever you need for license, registration, helmet, whatever. Right. Yeah. As long as you're covered with that, you're you're legal, which is really cool. But do not. As we said before with Vespas, these are not meant for the interstates. These are not meant for, especially these vehicles, are not meant for roads that have a speed limit of like 50 no, or 45. No, exactly. Don't, don't be that guy. In, in fact, they've got a lot of uh, a lot of you know characteristics of bicycles still. Right. Um, you know, they're not really a motorcycle. They're not. They're they're just kind of a, a top end moped, I guess. At this top end, as far as the the uh, the size allowed for scooters, maybe. Right. Um, so you know they, they have things like brakes, where, which are the, still the pedal brakes, where you push backwards on the pedals in order which to stop. Which is so cool. But they also have, they have been, I, I saw this now in the video. They mentioned that they have tiny drum brakes, right? Uh huh. Um, I saw if you go on the accessories page, which you know they've got a ton of accessories. By the way, they offer yeah. a lot of upgrades, like to a these rear things. post tank and yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff. I mean, they offer fifty different seats that you can order, mm-hmm. and uh, you know helmets and and other safety gear chains and locks and things um they also offer hydraulic disc brakes now which is really cool i don't know i didn't take a look at the price on the upgrade for that but uh that's a nice little upgrade because that would uh, definitely stop you pretty quick yes if you use paper you're a human but if you choose paper you're a papertarian someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day seriously It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. 
That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. On such a lightweight vehicle. Also, I'm much more of a fan of uh, disc brakes in general. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And these things operate on a centrifugal clutch. Um, you know, what's funny, Jay mentioned that he had a go-kart that had a centrifugal clutch. Yeah. Mine does too. Um, it's a, it's a neat device. I mean, the thing is when they were trying to show, you know, like revving up the engine, you couldn't rev it while it's just sitting there because it's, it's, it's always in gear, I guess. That's the only way to say it. Um, you'd have to tip it up on the, uh, on, on the kickstand. Right. And then rev it, and that's when the wheel spins up. So, um, same thing with the go-kart, but it's very, very reliable. Um, it's, it's really kind of a cool device and, and. Oh, you know what? I think we even have an article on how stuff works about how those actually operate. Yes. Uh, are you talking about how clutches work or are you talking about how go-karts work? Uh, we, I think we have both. We do I, have I both. I think we have how centrifugal clutches work. I think we have how go-karts work. I think we have all, kind, we have all kinds of stuff now. And uh, it's a free website. Just want to point that Man, out. Man, that was a shameless plug. Shameless but, uh, plug. What's the sidebar? Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I've been talking a mile a minute. But, Sorry. But here's the, here's the scoop on these things. Okay. They are, well, at least... One specific model, and my favorite model, your favorite model, mm-hmm. uh, the Custom Racer was designed to look like these old uh, board track racers from the turn of the century. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the old motorcycle thing. You know, the other three, the other two models that I mentioned, the Cruiser and the, uh, um, yeah, the, the Bob. Bobber Cruiser, mm-hmm. uh, those also look like motorcycles, but the, but the Phantom Racer in particular is designed to look like a board track racer. And um, here's where the sidebar comes in. We've we've got these these uh, th- these tracks that have long long since disappeared, Ben. But they were made of here in the United States mostly. I don't know if there were any anywhere else in the world or not. I, I just don't know. Um, okay. I, don't, I don't have enough information about it right now. We'll have to do this maybe. Uh, but here in the states, there was a, a trend towards wooden race tracks in the, at the turn of the century. Ah, yes. And these things they look so cool when you see them uh, any anywhere. I'm sure that there were some elsewhere in the world, but I know about the US tracks. Um, the thing about them is they were really inexpensive to build. Um, they were difficult to maintain. Right. They were not durable at all. In fact, they they most of them lasted only about maybe just a few years before they were just kind of left to rot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they completely just disappeared on their own. You know, nature took over or somebody looted them for the, uh, for the wood or whatever happened. Uh, but basically, the, uh, the board track trend died with a depression. So when, when that happened, it kind of went away. So this is like a big thing in, you know, from early 1900s to, let's say, the 1920s. Mm-hmm. That's kind of their, uh, their time. Um, get this, Ben. Splinters were actually a serious concern on these things when you're, when you're, when you're riding, not just when you have an accident, which I'm sure would be horrible right, on yeah, a board track. Because totally. if you look at it, it's 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 an amazing structure. Like you know, you look at a an old wooden roller coaster, and it's like that's a lot of wood. Well, look at a <laughs> look at a look at a board track. You know, a photo of a board track, and you won't believe what you see. I mean, you're talking like a, a mile and a half track made out of like looks like two by fours on their on their edge. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, even in the photographs of a new or well maintained one. They don't look that sturdy. No, no, not at all. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, I mentioned splinters. Right. These were real concerns, I mean, for the, for the guys, of course, and not only, you know, during accidents, but while they were riding. They said that, you know, splinters were often driven into their faces while they were riding, what? while they were driving these things. So they're racing, and, and they're having to deal with this as well. 
Um, and I'm sure that you know they were well. They were those thick sweaters, right? Uh, which I think are so cool. Are they splinter sweaters? Yeah, well, no, but they. Name? But you know, I'm sure that they were filled with that. But they were getting these things driven in their face while they were driving uh, cars because cars shared the tracks as well. Right. Uh, cars would have to have anti-splinter devices fitted to the radiators in order to prevent them from being punctured by these things. So that's how dangerous uh, board track racing was, and it's ridiculously fast. And one last thing on this. What's that? I found a video, which was a, uh, a a copy of a film, really, that was done on online. You can find this. Um, they just wanted to preserve it. Um, it's the Indian Motorcycle Company. Oh, cool. And uh, if you search search these keywords, and you'll find this video, and it's about 10 minutes. To me, There's no sound. To me, it's worth every minute of it. But it was like someone just wanted to save this thing before it deteriorated. And couldn't you know it couldn't be viewed anymore. It was like this weird story, but it's at the beginning. But it was like found under the bed of somebody, like an, an ancestor who passed away at a very elderly age, wow. you know, that had kept this film all these years. You know, someone you know, I think it was a relative who was a racer. Um, what are the keywords? Uh, if you search for Indian board track racing at Daytona, Indian board track racing at Daytona, it's about a ten minute and thirty second film from nineteen twenty. Um, it's the only one that exists. This is, this says it's number nine in the series. So, you know, there's others that have been lost to time. Um, incredible stuff. And one, one last thing, you know, I mentioned the sweaters, the Indian sweaters and the, uh, the racing jerseys that are really cool. These Mm. antique jerseys that the, uh, the drivers or the riders would wear. Um, at the end, you see all the guys, you know, after the race and they're all kind of crowded around the winner and, you know, they've got, you know, the dirt and the the (laughs) goggles and everything. Right. They're all wearing these really cool Indian motorcycle racing sweaters. And if you had one of those today, Ben, I can't even imagine the value. A couple thousand dollars, maybe. Um, amazing stuff. It's really, really cool looking. But to, to have even like a reproduction of that would be really neat. Hint, hint, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I that's bet. a really that's a really amazing sidebar too because I didn't um, I didn't think we were going to go there. But yeah. that uh, but that's one of the neat things about these bikes. I think is the the stylistic callback to. Um, not just that period in time, but some other periods. On the website, they mentioned the Harley-Davidson knuckleheads. Mm-hmm. And um, I can definitely see the resemblance there, too. Uh, what The rabbit hole I fell into, and we we don't have time, I guess, to, to do it, unfortunately, so stop me if I go too crazy, was the um, fascinating history of motorized bicycles. Oh, yeah. There's a ton out there about this. And you'll see, if you search motorized bicycles and then phantom bikes... You'll see how similar these are in design. They're mm-hmm. really, really interesting. And this uh, this function for which these vehicles are built uh, is is largely unchanged. It's it's you want to take a short trip, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but too far to walk, and you want to carry some things, and you want to be able to have some more latitude than you might have if you're in a car and a traffic jam or something. And unlike a motorcycle, these things are light enough to pick up. So you're able to carry it up to your uh, your loft apartment, mm-hmm. or you're able to put it on the front of a bus if you need to, you know, to commute a little further. Um, so you know, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of really solid benefits to these things, and and just you know, from the style aspect, if you go to phantombikes.com, 
look at the gallery photos, and then also, you know, just check around online and see what other people have done with them, because I've seen people who have taken long, long trips on these things as well. Yes. Um, and uh, I think I think just looking at these things, you'll get this nostalgic feel for what they're, exactly what they're going for. Uh, no muffler, though, by the way, so if uh, you're looking for a quiet vehicle. But there's a straight pipe. And it that's is. A, just, you know, just for, uh, I guess, heat purposes, you know, just getting getting the heat from the front of the engine by your legs to the back. Yeah. It's just a bent piece of pipe that then it can be wrapped with uh, with some kind of cool looks like almost like header wrap. Mm-hmm. And um it, it looks really neat. You can you can get a wide variety of those as well on the accessories page, but uh but no muffler, you're right. Not necessary. Um they sound really cool. I have uh I have two things. One of them only one of them is related to this. Okay. And only tangentially. So if you're checking out Phantom bikes, and you've enjoyed this episode enough to say, "Hey, that's pretty reasonable." I would, I would love to build one of those. Um, you're going to find a very different bike as well floating out there on the internet. I don't know if you saw it, Scott. Oh, you Is know it what? The I, bike with the missing front strut. I did. Yeah, that's some. It's like an art student's bike. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, what, what, uh, what's the story with that? I mean, so the this. Um, this bike, which is almost—it's like a concept car, kind of. I don't—I don't know if it'll be in production or anything, but uh, the front strut is missing. Mm-hmm. That's why it's a phantom because there's a phantom front strut, and instead of having the front strut, um, the whole bike sort of has this—I don't know—like a sideways J shape. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And um, the front tire. Uh, the front wheel is still there, and it's still operated by the handlebars through some pretty spiffy uh, gear work. But when I was checking this out, uh, I fell into a rabbit hole looking at this, yeah. thinking of having one. And it, and apparently it's a pretty good bike. I don't it, know. it looks kind of cool because like, like you can mention the, uh, the, you hold onto the steering wheels, and everything yeah. below that is missing to the wheel. And yeah. then, so, but it still controls the wheel. I didn't know that. I, yeah, it, the handlebars it almost, still work. It almost looks like you can control this just by leaning. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a really odd-looking bike. It's it's painted solid white. This is completely separate from what we're talking about here, though. It's like, totally as far as different. Phantom bikes, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, um, oh, one last thing. Yes. Um, uh, the kit. We mentioned the kit, right? Oh yeah, we yeah. have to mention and, the um, kit. This is really important because I think this is this is kind of where their business spawned from, where where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used the word "spawn" twice in this podcast. Well, I used it too. Hmm, interesting. Okay, that's three. <laughs> Um, okay, so you can buy a kit from Phantom Bikes, and basically what it does is it allows you to convert almost any V-frame bicycle to a 49cc powered bicycle, mm-hmm. and it costs, I think it's around 475 is what the kit costs um, right now online. I, they may you know change up or down, depends on what happens. But um, So if you have an old cruiser bike or that you want to you know convert to one of these, if you have an idea that um, you know, it'd be better if you could somehow power this thing to get into town or whatever. Um, give it a shot. I mean, it's four, it's 500 bucks. So that's, uh, that's kind of expensive four seventy five. Um, but you know, maybe it's, uh, it's a new life for that old bike that's been hanging in your garage. And what a cool project, especially if you have, um, if you've been, if, You've been thinking about what you want to get your kid for their birthday or something, and they're mechanically inclined. Yeah. This would be really neat. Oh, and you could go totally custom with it. You could even make little body panels and everything with it. Because uh-huh. look, at, look at the Phantom Racer. They've got some kind of body fairing to them. Not a lot. 
but uh, just a, just enough that makes it look really cool, like a you know motorcycle ish, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, if somebody at home were to have you know the skill to do that kind of metalwork and and welding, etc., in combination with this kit that you can buy, which yeah. does a lot of the work for you. That's um, true. That's they've, true. They've already kind of uh, you know they've they've figured everything out for you on that end. Um, yeah, this could be a really cool project. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice too, because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource, and paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com/papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. All right, Ben. So I've got a uh, piece of listener mail here that uh, this is kind of a, a back and forth email situation here with uh, myself and a guy named Stuart. And Stuart is from Flagstaff, Arizona. Ah, yeah, Stuart from Arizona. Yeah, yeah. So um, Stuart wrote in about our Vespa podcast. He says, thanks, guys, for the great podcast on Vespas and scooters. Uh, He says he got on the scooter bandwagon in 2003 uh, where the gas prices were really climbing and a scooter was a great alternative to my Chevy Avalanche. So uh, that's <laughs> talk a, about a contrast. That's a major contrast. So he bought um, a scooter called a Kimco Bet and a Win 250, and his wife. Oh, so he got two. Um, and his wife got a, uh, a Vespa ET4 that same year. Um, so he, he says we're absolutely right about them belonging in the right environment. You got to you know 
pick your time and place for these things. Right. And um, he, let's see, he lives and works in Flagstaff, um, but he goes all over town in this thing. You know, speed speed limits are, you know, around 40, so it's easy for him. He says it, it will do 80 um, on his 250. The 250 wow. model that he has, uh, but the little the little tiny wheels make it a scary ride, so he doesn't like to do that. Um, now this is the guy you uh, you guys did have a back and forth um, earlier yeah. today, in fact. Yeah, exactly. I, I'll tell you what I wrote back in a minute, and then his <laughs> okay. response. Um, but it says he used it. Uh, he uses it mostly, you know, just around town. But one time he did drive to Phoenix on his moped, which is uh, it's a pretty good distance. I mean, I looked it up. It's about. Um, I think I think it's like two hours and twenty minutes by car on high on the highway. Oh wow! And he did back roads, which took him about three and a half hours, as I found out later, uh, which is that's a significant amount of time on a on a scooter. But uh, I think a, a back road trip on a scooter might be really fun out in the desert. Yeah, it'd be really neat because again, there's so much more latitude with mm-hmm. the scooter. You can I don't I don't know. There's something cool about that idea that you could just. Go on the back roads, see something interesting, and stop and well, hang out. See, he mentioned that he had to spend about twenty or so miles on Interstate 17 uh, because oh. you know just the way the roads were. He yeah. said that was not something that he ever wants to do again because it was awful. Uh, it's kind of terrifying. Be kind of frightening. Yeah, to be next to a big rig. There. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. There's probably a lot of uh, a lot of semi traffic out there. So you know, we have to do this back and forth. And my question to him: This is maybe a funny question to you or to anybody, really. Um, I wondered, well, he's got this giant vehicle, this avalanche, right? Uh, he's got a couple of scooters, and he's doing a lot of desert driving. And, and have you been out west? Yes. Okay, so you know that it can be a long, long way. You've got to really plan how much fuel you have in the tank between cities because you, there's just nothing in between. Right. And those uh, the, Sometimes those signs that say last gas 50 miles are serious. Absolutely serious, and that is a long 50 miles if you're watching the fuel gauge the whole time. Mm-hmm. So uh, my question was, you know, with all this desert driving that he – obviously has to do, does he ever throw the Vespa in the back of the avalanche as kind of a, a dinghy, yeah. like a, a lifeboat, right? And because uh, it seems like, to me, that's what I wrote, is that if you had a, an empty gas tank, a gas can, and a Vespa, fully, you know, fully fueled Vespa in the back of the thing, you would never be too far away from a, a gas, you know, gas station. You'd be able to, you know, it's kind of like a, a lifeboat, like I said. You could yeah. scooter into the next town, buy fuel, bring it back to your stranded vehicle, and be on your way. And uh, he he wrote back and said, you know, it's not a bad idea, but it's it's tough to get um, a Vespa in the back of or or any scooter really in the back of a pickup truck, especially a big pickup truck like mm-hmm. that, um, with one person. With two people, it's much more possible. But then you get the situation of you know who stays behind with the broken down vehicle and all that. He didn't mention all that, but I'm assuming they, they did fit it into the other vehicle though. They fit one of the scooters in. He's right? he's actually done it. He's lifted yeah. it into his uh, Avalanche, and he's, he and his son. Uh, lifted it into a uh, Subaru Baja, I think it was. That's he said it was, what a, it was a tight fit, but yeah. it, it fit, uh, and it was easy for them to get it into there. But he did say that you know one time he took it, his truck to Las Vegas, and uh, you know cruised around in the town on the scooter while the truck was having some repairs made, and that was like a great you know a great thing to have. It's almost like when you you, know, you, you arrive somewhere in a big RV and you've got the uh, the towed vehicle behind <laughs> that you, know, you yeah. can detach and drive around. It's similar to that idea. But uh, so, anyways, I, I enjoyed talking with Stuart, and mm-hmm. uh, he had some good insight on you know exactly how useful scooters can be in, in even in like a desert situation like that with towns long distance away. It'd be pretty cool to have one of those. Just uh, I don't know how I would fit it into Monte Carlo. Maybe I need some sort of folding scooter. Uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, like, uh, oh, how about this? 
You ever seen the go-kart that fits into a briefcase? Yes. Or a suitcase, maybe. Yeah, it's a suitcase. A suitcase go-kart. That would be a good idea. That's a great idea. I'm going to get right on that, um, which means that we'll have to get out of here today. You guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope that you have enjoyed our show on phantom bikes. We would love to hear about your moped experiences, especially, you know what I'm going to say, Scott? Especially if uh, somebody has built one of these from a kit. Sure, or if they happen to own a, a phantom bike that was built by the factory. That would be really cool. Yes, those would both be equally cool. Uh, give us a shout on Facebook. Let us know what you think uh, via Twitter. And if you're feeling old-fashioned, drop us an email at carstuffatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.